How you guys doing? There it is. Well, good to see you guys. I am so honored and excited to be able to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to get uh, right into this. I love, what, what did you say? Uh, note takers, and then you guys said our? That was pretty dope. <laughs> I actually like that. My, actually, Marco said that to me. He was like, I like that. I normally say to people in my church, I said, you'll remember more with the lead than your head. I know you think your brain is good, but you're going to remember more that you write down. Uh, well, I'm excited about this because we are, you guys are actually in, the, you just started a series. How many people were here last week when Pastor Derek gave that message on Take It to the Streets? And you guys are in this change series. And, I, and he called me up and he said, hey, Emma, would love for you to be a part of this series because it's about change. And I know how much you've been through. Like, I love talking about change because my life really is a reflection of that. Now, it's important that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I didn't say my life is a reflection of perfection. I think that's important. Sometimes when we think change, some of us will, will phrase that and we think change means perfection. No, you can change and make a lot of transformation, transformative things in your life, but it doesn't mean that at time to time you might have periodic relapses. But just because you messed up doesn't mean you didn't change. I think that's important to mention. I met a guy last week. He came to me. He had half his face was kind of bruised and, and I, I relapsed after. I said, how long? He said, three years. It's been three years. I said, so you messed up in 24 hours, and now you're going to define and let it just project your entire future. You, you were sober for three years. Let's not let the one relapse make a definition of the rest of your life. You made so many changes in the past. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you go back and give up. And that's what happens sometimes. And so um, uh, Pastor Derek hit me up, and he said, can you be a part of it? And I just love talking about change. Um, um, I like changing socks. I should have got a better amen out of that. Let me find out. Take your shoes off right now. I, I like changing underwear. Somebody say amen. Like, I'm talking about like fresh, pop the elastic on it. Like, let's get it going. And, and, I, and I like changing lives. Yeah, I like when lives change, when you go through transformative work in your life and you go from this to that and you look back and say, man, that used to be me and now this is me today. And sometimes going through that process, it can be extremely painful. The name of the series is called what? Change. And there's a little subtitle or tagline on it that says it's not easy, but it's essential. Say that with me. Say it's not easy, but it's essential. Oh, I love the engagement here. Say it one more time. It's not easy. But it's essential. And in essence, what I hear in that when he shared it with me, I just thought, man, it, it hurts to change. It's not easy. What does that mean? That means there's going to be some pain involved in the changing process. But it's essential. It's not easy. It's painful, but it's essential. And that's what we're going to open this up with. I, the first note, it should be in your handouts, but you can jot this down. Pain is a part of the changing process. Now, you have to get this. You've you got to embrace this as, reluctance as, as reluctantly as we want to. Pain is a part of the changing process. Uh, people who don't want to embrace the pain that comes with it will never change. I said this in the first service. I might as well share it with you as well. Uh, I said healthy things live, living things grow, and growing things are always changing. If it's healthy, it's going to live. If it's living, it should grow. 
And if it's growing, it's going through a constant evolution. The acorn doesn't remain an acorn too long. Eventually, what's in starts to crack and it comes out. And it starts to germinate and it starts to grow and it starts to flourish. And every stage, it's going through a different stage, which means you're leaving something that you used to embrace. Why, why is change so painful at times? Uh, because you gotta, when you're going through a pruning season, you're cutting off things that you have adopted potentially for years. And how many people know that if you've been doing it for a long time, when someone says stop, it's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you should be changing that. Well, it's not as easy as you think. Yeah, it's hard. Pain is part of the process. And until you embrace that, um, uh, uh, you, you might potentially give up on what could be the better part of your life. Your future self will thank you when you embrace the part of pain that's associated with change. I wrote this down. I'm going to give it to you as well. Sometimes the pain of changing will give you the impression that doing the right thing is not worth it. Sometimes when you're going through changes and because it's not easy, but you know it's essential, the pain of going through it says, this is not worth it. This marriage is not worth it. I refuse to do the work necessary to see the fruit that I'm looking for because it's too painful. Only to switch them, go into another relationship and have to encounter the same level of pain. Because if you don't change, it won't change. And you will have to confront that pain at some point in your life. Oh, this Puerto Rican is preaching. Whether or not you come back, please come back next week. Please, please, because I'm not the pastor of the church. There's a better one. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. I was talking to Marcos in the back, and he, he dropped a little nugget on me. He says, you know, pastor, when you don't want to feel the pain, you'll walk away. And when he said that, I said, give me my computer. Let me just jot that down, because what I want to suggest to you, because pain is a part of the change in process, any area in which you are dealing with a level of change, when you're tempted to get up and walk away, that's the area you need to slow down to consider. Why does this word make me uncomfortable? I, I, would, I would dare to say that even today, some of the things that I will share will make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes the uncomfortableness is not a sign that you're not growing, but it, rather it's a sign that growth is trying to penetrate your heart and sometimes we're reluctant to let something go because your fist has been around it for so long yeah pain is part of the process it's so good pain is part of the process uh your pastor pastor Derek and also my pastor he's one of my overseers at my church and so he's my pastor as well uh pastor Derek said this last week in last week's message he said in 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 in, in, in a secular approach to change self sits on the throne of your life he said this last week and go back and listen to it. Uh, uh, but in a Christ centered approach to change, Christ sits on the throne of your life. And I think that this is important because there are so many different ways that we can go about changing. When, when I'm talking about change, change can be good and change can be bad. And that's all predicated on who you ask. Man, you change it. And to that individual, you're changing for the right things. But to them, it's the wrong thing because they're not ready to change. Boy, you know you changing. That could be actually toward the bad thing. You were doing the right things, and now since you've been running with that click, you started smoking weed more than you never was a weed smoker. Oh, yeah, this Puerto Rican is preaching. I told you, come back next week. It's going to get better. But, but we're about to deal with some things because we want some change. Yeah, and whenever you're dealing with change, you can't be afraid to go there. People who are afraid to go there, fill in the blank for you, wherever there is, avoiding there means you avoid change. And so you got to be willing to go there. Somebody say, I'm not scared. Yeah, I ain't scared. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'm not scared of change. I'm not scared of confrontation of the things that are going to make me a better person in my life. 
And so, Derek, when you look at Pastor Derek's message last week, he talked about all of these uh, faulty methods that sometimes we embrace to change. And so he was trying to emphasize that Christ should be on the center of your life in which you embrace him to move forward toward the direction that God wants you to change. And I think this is important because we live in a generation and a culture today that, that, that they try to give you the impression that you can be good without God. And I need you to understand, there was a guy who came to Jesus, I think it's in Luke chapter 18, Mark chapter 10. Uh, Jesus, they came to Jesus and said, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. It's a powerful statement. Like he's talking to Jesus and Jesus said, as the son of man, not the son of God, because as the son of God, I'm perfect. But as the son of man, humanity, there's nothing good in this thread called flesh. There's nothing good in it. And so goodness comes from God. So for you to exalt goodness apart from God is to make it its own God, thus create, just th thus worshiping something that you cannot worship apart from God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? In other words, in other words, goodness fell off the God tree, and now we're taking the goodness and trying to make it into its own God. You cannot worship good. See, that's what we call humanism. I hope I'm not getting too deep for this on Sunday morning. But that's what we call humanism, where you make God, I mean, mankind the God. Mankind can do good things, and it's wonderful. But you didn't get that goodness in and of yourself. It came from God. And that's the reason why we have the power to become good, because goodness is attached to God himself. But look at this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, this is what your Bible says. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words, we were just like the people in the world, so stop acting like you missed the wonderful, like you ain't never been there. Oh, that's what that means in the Emmy translation. Go buy that Bible. Uh, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Look at this. He made us good with Christ. Thank you for the correction. He made us alive with Christ. There's a difference between being good and being alive. You can be good after you become alive. But the goal, he's not just trying to make you good. There's something broken in the human system, in the flesh, in the thing that separates you from God. He made us alive with Christ even when we were bad in transgressions. Even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved. In the Bible, Christianity is unique in and of itself because God is not trying to make bad people good. And I think this is so important because we live in a generation today that we keep trying to exalt the good parts that come from God apart from God. But Jesus didn't die to make you good. And I know this is hard because this is what religion will teach you. There's nothing good in mankind in and of himself. He's dead, not bad. And he needs to be made alive, not just good. So if you're taking our notes, write this down. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people live. He's trying to bring you alive. And then once you become alive, I'm now, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he, I mean, yeah, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm talking about the literal translation says you are a new species of being that has never existed before. You are now alive. We're talking about that this work of the Holy Spirit, that when you get saved, it's not just about making you good. It's about when the Bible talks about in the book of Titus, uh, the letter of Titus, it says that, that the Holy Spirit came to bring regeneration, regeneration. We're talking about you are a new, you have new genes. 
We're talking about your genealogy has changed away with what you, where your race comes from. We're talking about that when you get born again, you become a new makeup. This is not a white issue, a black issue, a Puerto Rican. You are literally a new kind, regeneration. Racism doesn't exist in the kingdom of God because we have been all shaped and made the same way. This Puerto Rican is preaching. So when it comes to change, I act like I just didn't say all that. I'm just like, so let's just move on. Uh, when it comes to change, there is always something that goes in between you and God that will influence your change. When it comes to transformation and you actually changing, I want you to understand that there is something that will always go in between you and God to influence that change. So here you go. You got God and you have you. You have the source of life and then you have you. There will always be something in the middle that God will either use or Satan will use to bring a level of communication, influence and information, thus creating change. You're changing in which direction is yet to be determined. We're changing. We are downloading stuff all the time in our souls and in our minds and online, the things we watch, the things we read, and determining, determining based on what you're reading and studying and what you're downloading is going to determine the level of change that you experience. Look at this uh, uh, verse in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This was the verse that I was reading that, that I, it just blew up in my face. And I just was just like, wow, I never saw this before. I'm going to make a message around it. And here I come connect. Uh, verse Timothy chapter 2. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. So God's objective, I want everybody to receive salvation. No one's exempt. I know you don't like her and I know you don't like him and I know you don't want to be patient with them, but it's not my will that any should perish, but that everybody comes to repentance because I want everybody to be saved. Yeah, everybody, everybody. Your crazy drunk uncle, saved. He wants him saved. Yeah. Your cousin that just got out of jail, he wants him saved. I know you don't want to be around him right now, but the reality is God says there's hope for him. I want him to be saved. Now, check this out. And he also wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth. So he wants you to experience salvation, and the knowledge of the truth comes from his word. He wants you to have this deep revelation knowledge of his word. Why? Because these two things are going to be the media. Somebody say media. It's going to be the media that God is going to use to provoke change in your life. The name of my message today is called Media for the Soul. Media for the Soul, and it's hinged upon this verse. Let's continue. Uh, 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 this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all the men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God said, I'm going to put something in between me and you that if you use this lifeline, it's going to be the media that's going to bring communication, information, and influence that will provoke change that I want in your life. When you look at the word mediator, look at the first five letters. What do you see? You see media. The word media, I mean, first of all, the word mediator is someone who is a go-between you and the one you want to connect with. That's what a mediator is. Someone who goes between you is a go-between, between you and the one you want to connect with. The word media also comes from the word mediator. And you guys know media. We have enough of it. All of us carry media in our pockets. What is media? Media is mass communication. What is media? Media is mass information. Media is always the thing in between the source and the object. And right there in the middle is the media. 
bringing communication, influence, and information, thus provoking some level of change in your life. Mediator, media, is where we get the word middle from. Oh, this makes sense. Simple. What's the middle? The thing stuck in between. And then finally, the word medium comes out of mediator. Because the medium is what? A means by which something is communicated and expressed. So here is God since the beginning of time. Just think about this. When God decided to make an impact and thus create change in the world, what was God's media from the beginning? His word. Here is God who's the source of everything that's alive. Here is mankind, the object of his affection. I need to create change in this man's life. I send him my word. My word is the go-between him and me so it can empower him to change. My word is the medium. It's the thing that stands in between to communicate. My word is in the middle. My word is the, the medium. My word is all of that. It is the media and the mediator between God and man. The interesting thing is that since the beginning, God has always used media, his word, as media. But Satan's job has always been to, to, to provoke a substitution of God's media. So he shows up and says, I know God sent his word and said that if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. Did God really say that? So now I'm going to get you to think of an alternative. Here's the first time you see a substitute for God's mediator. Satan himself. The, he, he, he tries to become the mediator to get you to consider an alternative through corrupt communication. All throughout the scriptures, you see it. Moses was a mediator, but then Satan would send his own mediators, his Pharaoh. His, his Pharaoh and all his warlocks and witches performing tricks, whatever, making snakes and having them. And then God's way of mediating to his people begin to swallow up this false media that's in the world. Jesus Christ is a mediator. In the last times, the Bible talks about a man of lawlessness that's going to come. You know him as the Antichrist. What is that? He's the substitute for the real mediator. I'm just getting too deep. Let me get out of that. But, but, but look at this image. Look at this image. In the image above, you see God using Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The, Jesus is the word. So whenever your life is going to change with God's media system, he's going to use his word and he's going to use Jesus Christ as the media, the mediator to provoke change in your life. But the enemy wants to substitute Christ as the mediator. Always has, will always try to. And so to this day, media is the substitution that the enemy uses to provoke a level of influence to get you to think differently about God. So you see in the next slide that I have, you got man trying to understand God, but now Satan will use all of these means. TV, Internet, the World Wide Web. We didn't know what was popping in Russia. Now we do. Yeah, we didn't know what was going in Yugoslavia. Now we do. Webcam and all. We, all through the web. Books, magazines, online, your phone. This little thing that's in the middle between you and your relationship with God, communicating all kinds of messages so that you don't see him the way God wants you to see him. And, and I don't have time to get into this. And I said this and I dropped this little nugget in the first service and I just got to drop it in you, your, your hair, your hair and your ear and your face and everything else. I just got to drop it because because I feel like you guys are eating right now. Are you getting anything out of this? 
the, the, the media, really quick, well, this is not my message, but I'm going to work on a series because of this message. Uh, I'll, I'll drop it in the beginning of the year. Uh, uh, how, how do you use media? You use media through airwaves, radio waves, television waves, all of these invisible frequencies that's in the air. That's in the air. It's sending signals, information, communication, all of that. And then you get a device that's the media in between that picks up the signal so that you can see what's in the air. And it's, isn't it interesting that the Bible says, and this is not my message, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Satan would love to have control over all the media outlets. So every time you call Comcast, you got 500 channels, media at your disposal to watch things that will gift you to think differently about your relationship with God. You have to be careful about the media sources. See, I'm so passionate about this because I can see the devices of the enemy. Young people, watch what you watch. Do not, and parents, please, you pay those bills. Pastor, Pastor Derek told me I could pastor you like if I was pastoring my church, so I'm about to go ham right now. But parents, you need to be policing what your children's, mom, I'm doing my homework. Give me your phone and see who you talking to. You need to download these apps to be able to shut off Wi-Fi at a certain time, create healthy boundaries around their lives because they don't know what boundaries are unless you create them. They're not looking for friends. They're looking for a parent. And they'll tell you that when they turn 40 after they get mad with you because you were smoking weed with them. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is not my church. This is not my church. This is not my church. I'm sorry, PD. I love you, baby. I love you. Not my church. Excel, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Uh, really quick, really quick. Just think about this mediator, the thing in between. Mediator, medium, media, the thing in between God and you trying to create some level of change. If I was speaking to a bunch of Brazilians, all my Brazilians, let me hear you. Woo, you deep. And so if I was speaking to a bunch of Brazilians and all, they, they didn't speak English. If they didn't speak English, I would need an interpreter. And even though I was the person bringing the word of God, you would think I was the most important person at that time in the building. But if I needed an interpreter, I'm not the most important person. The person I have to filter it through becomes the most important person. And if he doesn't communicate to you what I'm communicating to him, he could corrupt my message because of the media source that we're using. If you're taking our notes, write this down. Whatever gets in between you and God will influence the level of change you are experiencing. Whatever gets in between you and God is going to influence the level of change that you are experiencing. It's not what you hear one time and watch one time. It's what we got on replay. Okay, you saw it. You got exposed to it. It's probably not going to affect how you think about it today. But you're listening to it over and over and over. Now it's affecting how you see life. It's affecting how you see change. It's affecting how you're changing. Be careful. I love education. I believe I'm reasonably intellectual. I do. I don't believe I'm dumb, but I believe I got something going on. But you got to be careful about the sources that we use to educate us. There's nothing wrong with that. We like we need them. But we got to be able to be smart enough when that antenna pops up to say, ooh, Mr. Such and Such said this. And I don't even know if I agree with that 
Felicia. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. And it's okay for you to disagree when you know it counteracts the word of God. Say, brother, won't you just teach this math and let's just leave religion over there because I'm still going to believe God and I don't want you impairing or manipulating my grade because you don't believe and I believe. Two plus two is four. Can just pass the test. You understand what I'm saying? Let me get out of that. Okay, uh, uh, look at this real quick. First Chronicles chapter 10, I just want you to see how God dealt with somebody who went about receiving a medium and getting faulty communication, and God didn't like it. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium. For what? Isn't it funny that even today, most Christians will go to Google before they go to God? And I'm not trying to indict you because for the most part, I'm like, ooh, you know what? I can't remember where that verse is. Let me put it in real quick. And isn't it funny how it's becoming a close substitute for media on how we hear from God? So instead of saying, Lord, let me talk to you about that first, it's almost like we're being trained through the airwaves to go to that media source as opposed to going to the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Yeah, so, so four things, four things that God's media changes in your life. Four things. Somebody say four. four. Number one, allow God's media, which is Jesus and his word. It's the word of God. It's the first thing that God used. It's the thing he's been using forever since then. Uh, even when it comes to the people that he used. Like right now, I'm a medium for heaven. I know we're used to seeing that, you know, you got Halloween coming up. You got to watch out for these mediums. It's only a bad thing if they make it a bad thing. A medium is the thing in the middle. It's the media. It's the mediator. He has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what are we? We come in the middle between you and God, hopefully communicating to you a level of word that comes from the word and not some corrupt communication. Hopefully. That's why you got to read your Bible, because you should be checking people like me out. Somebody should say amen to that. Number one, allow God's media, number one, to change your morality. I think this is important. I, I think when I was putting this together, I thought to myself, this is so important. The young people, really, you can be honest with me. You don't have to answer. This is more rhetorical than anything. Really think about when is the last time, if ever, you have ever had an honest dialogue just about what's right, what's wrong. We typically don't say anything to our children. We just assume that they know what's right, what's wrong, because they think, or we think that they should just be watching us, and they, they are. But for the most part, they are adopting other things because at a young age, they're not really trained to really go to the Bible. They're really trained to go and watch things first. And so they're developing a moral system that you're shocked when they turn 15 to say, Mom, I don't really believe like that. And we're shocked as parents because we don't really have honest dialogue about a moral code. And I'm trying to help you. I really, I hope you get in my heart today because I'm really trying to help you in your homes. Like we need to have honest dialogue and let the word of God, which is God's mediator, provoke a level of change in your morality. Why is that important? If you're taking our notes, write this down. It's important to know where you stand, even if you're not perfect in keeping that stance. It's important for you to know, okay, according to the Bible, let no corrupt communication come out of you. I don't believe in lying. But that doesn't mean I have never been under pressure to lie. Woo, pull over. Oh, here we go right now. You know, sir, do you know how fast you were going? No. You lying. <laughs> That's the reason why you hit them brakes when you seen them, because you knew you were doing 95 in a 55. That's not true. Look at that line on the stage. Look at you. Your jokes are even corrupted. But you understand my point. My point is, is that you have, sorry, front row, I'm spitting pretty good. 
my, my, my point is, is that you have to have a moral standard because even if you break it, you at least know how far away you are from the thing you have established is right in your life. It's important to have sexual boundaries because even if you break them, you could say, girl, I messed up yesterday. It's important that you say you messed up because that's an indication that you have a standard even if you know you messed up. This Puerto Rican is preaching. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, look at what your Bible says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And I think this is important to mention. Remember this, young people. We have a tendency sometimes of being very passionate, not even just young people, old people, religious people. We have a tendency of being very passionate about certain things, and sometimes we project what we believe on other people. This is not about trying to correct someone else. This is about evaluating your life. The word of God is a mirror, not a window. You don't grab the Bible, look at it and, and through it and say, oh, look at what you're not doing and look at what you're not doing. And look. No, no, no. It's a mirror. You look at it and say, wow, my life is still in need of change. I'm still growing. I recognize I did this yesterday when I should be walking in love. I got to go back and apologize. It's about is it changing you? And through that discipline, other people will see it and say, wow, I recognize your life changed. Less what you telling me and more by me watching you. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about this. I'm about to throw this microphone. Number two, <laughs> allow God's media to change your thinking. So let's, oh, no, let's go back really quick. Point one. And point one, I said to media, I threw out some verses. Uh, this is for point one, morality. I want you to go back and look at a few chapters. And I want you to get a piece of paper. This is what I did. I was locked up. I, for those of you who don't know, I was 17 when I got locked up. I got sentenced. I did seven years in prison, man. I was out there in the street. I was a I'm hood. At the, like it just, I go back. And so God was really working on my moral code because I didn't have one. And I had to, I literally drew a line in a piece of paper and I put on this side, this is what God says is right, this is what God says is wrong. And I literally had to establish a moral code in my life because no one taught me anything. The streets taught me. And I needed to rechange how I was thinking by using God's media. So you can go to chapters like Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4. That's just a few things. Go back and listen to the message over so you can get those chapters. But go through and you can begin to look at this stuff and look at it and say, okay, I'm not trying to be perfect because I won't be, but at least I now know where my standard is. So if I do violate, I know how to run back to that which is right. Okay, number two, allow God's media to change your thinking. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide in soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Look at this. The word of God, the media of heaven, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you're taking down notes, write this down. Every thought you think isn't always from God. Can we start judging the thought life. Can we start judging it? Like, dude, I got to judge. Like, sometimes I will be in worship. See, I like to indict myself because most people won't be honest. So I figured I'll do it since I got the mic, right? So I I'm, in, I'm in church. Here I am worshiping God, and I get this random thought about something I saw two days ago, and now I got this ungodly scenario in the middle of a church experience, and I'm scheduled to preach in like five minutes. <laughs> See, people won't tell you that. And that's the reason why church religion drives me crazy, because we can be so phony sometimes. The reality is, if our lives are going to change and reflect the change, we got to be honest. The thoughts that came through my mind were not of God. 
And I literally had to arrest them by judging them. You take the thought, you look at it, and you say, even though this is in my head because of other media sources that I looked at or watched, or I was walking by the living room, and I saw an argument with, you know, on CNN, and that thing went through my mind, and I made up this big scenario. No, hold on a second. All of that is trash. This is what God's word says. I'm going to now resist this and embrace this because I'm getting my thought life in alignment with the will of God. So I just, let me say this also. You are not your thoughts unless it aligns with the word of God. Boom. You are not your thoughts unless it aligns with the will of God. If I did everything I thought, I wouldn't be a pastor. If I did everything I thought, I probably wouldn't be alive today. If I did everything I thought, I would be still in jail to this day. So the things that cross my mind are not always godly. So I got to have a battleground fight up in here and say, this is wrong. This is right. I have to judge these thoughts so I can get my life because I'm eventually going to live out of how I think. And number three and four, allow God's media to change your will and your emotions. Allow God's media, and I, put, I combine them together, your will is, your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You live out of your soul. All your decisions are made out of your soul. And so your will is this ability, it's, your, it's what I like to call your chooser. It's your ability to make decisions. You all have a will. Your will is the ability to say yes and no. You are so much like God because of this issue called your will. You can choose to embrace God or choose to reject God because you have the will to do it. You don't have to be a Christian. You can go serve somebody else. And God will support the decision even if he's not in favor of the decision. But he would support it because you have the power of prerogative. Just like Adam and Eve said, okay, two trees. Uh, well, Satan did consider something through his form of media. I kept watching that YouTube video over and over. So now I'm tempted to eat from this tree. And she made a decision and he made a decision, Adam, that is out of their will. They chose to do it. Okay, let me, let me read the verse. In Matthew chapter 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he sat down to them. Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and his two sons of Zebedee along with him. Look at this. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. I love how Jesus was honest about his emotions. We don't live in denial about how we feel. Remember this. If you're taking our notes, write this down. Your emotions are a gauge, but they shouldn't be a guide. That you recognize this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling depressed. You're not wrong by feeling that, but it is important to recognize it so you can now make the appropriate decisions from that moment forward. So it should gauge where you are, not guide the next steps in your life. Okay, let's go back because Jesus is honest about how he felt. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's being honest. Stay here with me while I watch. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Why is he struggling? Because he has the power to walk away if he wants to. And he prays three times. The same prayer. What is he doing? I'm tempted to go my way, but I'm going to take my will and line it up with God's will. I'm going to take my ability to decide and say, Lord, what do you want me to decide? And then I'm going to choose what you decide so that we can do what you want me to do. And so if you're taking our notes, write this down. Feelings are a powerful thing. 
But feelings should follow belief in the Father's will, not create belief. Feelings are a powerful thing, but feelings should follow belief, not necessarily create belief. So I recognize how I feel, and I say, Lord, what does your word say? Because if I make the right decision, my feelings will follow me. Changing is going to be one of the most painful things you ever encounter in your life. And pain is part of the changing process. It's not easy, but it's essential. And if you submit your morality, your thinking, your will, and your emotions, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a willingness to submit these things under his lordship. You will see your life change after day, after day, after day. How, how many people want to change more and more and more? Yeah, I believe that God's going to honor that. Pray. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. I pray, Lord, for provoking uh, um, your word, just provoking this time, this moment, using this time. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. You know exactly where we are. You have permission to move up and down the aisle, in and out of every row. Minister to us. Take this word and, and allow it to be penetrated deep into our soul, psyche, our mind, and begin to work on us in the areas that we need to make adjustments. We remove the shame of changing. We just remove the shame. There's no shame in changing. Other people may give you the impression that you should be ashamed that you have to change. No, God is honored that you would come to your senses like the prodigal son and say, I'm going to make a decision to change. Change is honored. It's the word repentance in the kingdom of God. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power to change and the power to repent in Jesus' name. And while I'm praying right now, maybe you're here and you say, Emmy, I've been hearing a lot about this Jesus thing and I've just been coming to church. And maybe you have never personally submitted your life to his lordship. I don't mean coming to church or hearing about a historical Jesus. Have you personally given your life over to him? If that's you and you say, Emmy, please pray for me. I'm not going to have you come down. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would love to know who you are so I can pray for you. If that's you and you say, Emmy, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Pray for me. Put your hand up right where you are. If that's anybody, my man, I see that hand. I see this hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I got you. I see this hand, young lady. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you with a prayer. I know what the Bible says. And sometimes, listen to me, you don't have to have this whole thing figured out. One time a person came to me, you know, why didn't I learn all of this when I got saved? I said, girl, you're going to make decisions and learn more about them after. You're not going to figure everything out. Making this decision is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Say it with confidence. Say, Heavenly Father. I submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Help me to fully understand what that means. I thank you for dying for me, rising to life again for me. I repent of my sin, and I make a decision to follow you. Baptize me with your spirit. Help my life change so I can do what you've called me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for all those people that gave their lives to the Lord?